Thanks for downloading today's podcast of Clearly Seen, taught by Mike Kokoris. I think you're going to enjoy what Mike has for you today. And if you're ever in the San Fernando Valley area of Los Angeles, we invite you to Lindley Church. Mike would love to meet you personally and answer any questions you have. Feel free to email your comments and questions to michael at kokoris.com. That's michael at C-O-C-O-R-I-S dot com. Now, let's hear from Mike. Look at the people around you. Take a good, long look at the people around you. Wouldn't take very much scrutiny and study to discover that some of them are only existing. And other people that you know are really living. There are some who struggle through life. They really do not have any peace. They have no hope. They perceive of not being loved. And they perceive that the world has very little grace, at least to them and perhaps to most others. On the other hand, there are people who, though they have problems, have an inner tranquility, They are relaxed, they feel loved, they somehow feel favored, they have peace, they have joy, they have hope, and there's something about these people that's almost indestructible. When they are confronted with tough times, they just seem to be that much more resilient. Now, If you've ever noticed this about the people around you, you've probably asked, how is it possible for some people to live, I mean really live, and not just exist and float through life? Well, from a biblical point of view, the Scripture teaches that we as believers in Jesus Christ should be really living and not just existing, that we should have the kind of abundant life that I just described. The question is, how is it possible? How can a person have that kind of life? Well, there's a sense in which it would take uh, half the New Testament to answer that question. But to grapple a bit with just the issue of how it is possible I would invite your attention to Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5, beginning with verse 12, the Apostle Paul explains how it is possible to really live in this life. Beginning at verse 12, he says this, Therefore, just as through one man's sin entered the world and death through sin, And thus death spread to all men, because all have sinned. And then he interrupts himself. Matter of fact, in my Bible, there is a parenthesis, beginning at verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who have not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him, who was to come. 
But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift of the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who received abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as though as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so, grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Very admittedly, this is a complex, complicated, difficult passage of scripture one commentator speaking about this very passage says the analogy drawn by paul between adam and christ is judged to be one of the most difficult and complex passages of the epistle end of quote though this passage is incredibly complex and though there are things in this passage that have uh, occupied the minds of books of scholars for many years. Basically, what is going on in this passage is relatively simple. What's happening in these verses is a contrast, a comparison between Adam and Jesus Christ. Paul begins in verse 12 starting the comparison. But before he can complete it, he interrupts himself in verse 13 and gives a contrast, not a comparison, a contrast. That goes all the way down through verse 17. Finally, he comes back in verse 18 to finish the comparison. Have I confused you already? Let me state it again. What this passage is about is a contrast between Adam and Jesus Christ. He starts that contrast in verse 12. He gives the Adam part of it. What you would naturally expect to follow is the second half of the comparison, meaning the other half being Jesus Christ. But before he gets to that, he interrupts himself in verse 13 and gives a contrast between the two. Now, in verse 18, he states the comparison. He started in verse 12, and then he explains that in verses 19 through 21. 
Now we're going to move through this passage, and I think it might be helpful if you will keep the simple truth in mind that as complicated as this passage is, it is really nothing more than a comparison between Adam and Jesus Christ. Now with that in mind, look at verse 12. He says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all have sinned. Now notice, he says, therefore. This comparison between Adam and Jesus Christ is based on what he has just said in verse 11. There is in Jesus Christ reconciliation. Therefore, and he plunges into this comparison. But what you really need to note is this. He says, just as, in verse 12. That little phrase alerts us to the fact that he's going to compare Adam with Jesus Christ. So you would say, just as, so. But there is no so. Before he gets to the so, there is an interruption in verse 13, and he doesn't get to the other half of the comparison until he gets to verse 18. So let's just look at half of this comparison for a moment, the half that deals with Adam. It's really rather simple. He says, through one man, Adam, sin entered the world. All right? I had a big chalkboard. I'd put on one side, Adam. And under that I'd write, sin. His point is rather simple. Through Adam, sin entered the world. And now that's interesting. If it entered through Adam, that implies that it already existed, which is true, isn't it? Sin originated with Satan and through Adam entered the human race. The next step is that that brought death upon the human race. So he says in verse 12, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin. So if you are uh, thinking in terms of this huge blackboard I've got up here, put down Adam and under Adam write sin and under sin write death. So through Adam came sin and sin brought death. And then he says in verse 12, death spread to all men. So under death, you might write, it spread to all. So the, this part of the comparison is relatively simple. Adam, sin, death, and the death spread to all humanity. So far, so good. Fairly simple. Now it gets interesting. Look at verse 12. He says, for or because all sinned. Now he's going to explain that death passed on all because all sinned. Now would you believe that that last little phrase in Romans 5.12 has caused as much theological debate and discussion as any three or four words in all of the New Testament? Whole debates uh, have been produced because of those three little words. Because all sin. What does he mean when he says all sin? Now, frankly, I can take the whole time and deal with just this little phrase. I don't want to do that because I want, to, I want you to see the thrust of this passage. 
But I'm going to very quickly summarize for you what the possibilities are of explaining this little phrase, all have sinned. Very simply, the first explanation is that it is a reference to personal sin. Those who take that point of view point out that back in Romans 3.23, the same phrase is used, and it's used of personal sin. You know that verse, Romans 3.23. It says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And it's talking about my personal sin. And here it occurs again, and so some say it is obviously a reference to personal sin. Now, there are some problems with that view. The problems are that he's just said sin came, and as a result of sin, death came, right? Well, there are babies who haven't sinned yet, personally, and they die. So, some say, you can't say this is personal sin because of the fact that babies who haven't sinned personally die, and in this passage, sin and death are connected. They also argue that there is a connection between Adam, sin, and death in this verse, and that just saying it's a reference to personal sin does not take into account that connection. So there are problems with that view. The second view, this is really going to get interesting, is called realism. The second view says, this is not a reference to my personally sinning. It is a reference to me being in Christ, I'm sorry, in Adam, and me having actually really sinned in Adam. And there are others object and they say, now wait a minute, that, that, that interpretation can't be right because I didn't exist before in Adam. So there is a third possibility. It is called imputation. Now, this view has um, two groups within it. There are some who believe that the sin of Adam was imputed to me and that um, it was mediate, meaning Adam sinned and he got a sin nature and he passed that sin nature to his kids and they passed it to their kids and they passed it to their kids and they passed it to their kids and I was born with Adam's nature. That's the mediate imputation view. In other words, this is simply saying I have a corrupt, sinful nature that I inherited from Adam. Now the problem with that view is the verse doesn't say I am a sinner, it says I sinned. The second group within the imputation crowd says that this is talking about immediate imputation. In other words, God imputed the sin of Adam directly to me without necessarily going through the human race. The objection to that view is that it's unfair that I should be blamed for Adam's sin. Now, have I sufficiently confused you? What you're doing is waiting patiently for me to tell you which view is right, right? You're going to wait a long time. This is a very difficult problem. As a matter of fact, this is as difficult an interpretive problem as I can remember facing as I have taught the Scriptures. And I have wrestled with this for a long time in preparation for speaking on this passage. I think I have concluded that a combination of two of these views is right. 
I think at one level he's talking about personal sin. He is saying all of us have sinned and we deserve to die. At the same time, I think it implies that I received that from Adam. And so there is at least implied in this verse imputation. And if I had to choose between the various views of imputation, I said there were two. I think at this point I would take the view that it is uh, immediate imputation, meaning I inherited the sin nature from Adam. That's why I sinned, and that's why I deserve death. Now, be all that as it may, and I recognize that's very technical and very complicated, let me sum up that what I've said thus far before we continue. The basic thrust of this passage is a comparison between Adam and Jesus Christ. I've given you the Adam side of the comparison. And on the board, we've got Adam, sin, death, and all of us are involved in that. However you explain it, we're all involved in that. Hate to break the news to you, all of us are going to die. Got it? Now, before he gives us the other side of the comparison, Jesus Christ, he gives some explanation and contrast. He says, for example, in verse 13, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who is to come. Oh, it's going to get interesting. What is that all about? Well, very simply, he is saying this. From Adam until Moses. He's dealing with just that period of time. He says in verse 13, until the law. That is, he's mentioned Adam in verse 12. Now until the law, until Moses came along and gave the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not, is not imputed where there is no law. That is, there was no law. Moses had not yet said, Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal, etc. Yet, sin was in the world. He further explains, Nevertheless, we know sin was there because death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. Now, all that means is this. Adam had a positive prohibition. Don't eat that tree. And he ate it, and he died. Now he says between Adam and Moses, there was no law. There was no sin like Adam because God hadn't given a bunch of laws. But we know they sinned. How do we know? This is really profound. They died. Remember the little chart? Adam, sin, death. Got it? Adam, sin, death. Well, the Scripture does not impute. It doesn't record the, the sins of those people who live between Adam and Moses. But what it does record is they died. You know what that means? They sinned. So the point thus far is simply Adam, sin, death. Now, he says in verse 15, but the free gift is not like the offense. Now, the free gift, as he's going to explain in a little bit, comes through Jesus Christ. He's getting a little ahead of himself, and he's going to make a contrast before he finishes the comparison. 
He says in verse 15, For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift of grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Aha! He says, look, let me tell you, in a minute I'm going to tell you about Jesus Christ. But before I compare him with Adam, let me tell you this. There's a contrast. Through Adam came death. Through Jesus Christ came grace. Then he says in verse 16, And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. Now, there are a couple of words in verse 16 that we have to talk about before you can exactly understand what he's saying. In the first place, he uses the word condemnation. This is not the normal Greek word for condemnation. This is a Greek word that is only used three times in all of the New Testament. It is used in verse 16, it is used in verse 18, it is used in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. What I discovered about this word surprised me, but I have checked it out very carefully and am now persuaded that this word does not just mean the uh, condemnation as we normally think about it. One scholar translates this word penal servitude. He is saying in verse 15, death came through Adam. He is explaining in verse 16 that that death included the penalty of servitude, that Adam and all of the people who came after him were uh, servants and slaves of sin. Now, in contrast to that, he says that by one man, Jesus Christ, a free gift came in, which uh, came from the offenses of many and resulted in, my translation says, justification. Now, this is very important. You've got a pen and you don't mind marking in your Bible. I want you to underline the word condemnation in verse 16, and I want you to write in the margin, penal servitude. Then I want you to underline the word justification in verse 16, and I want you to write in the margin the word righteousness. What he is saying is that through Adam, death came. Through Jesus Christ, grace and gift came. Through Adam, penal servitude, servitude to sin came. Through Jesus Christ, there is the possibility of righteousness that has come. So he is contrasting Adam and Jesus Christ. Adam brought us what? Sin and death. And this death is not just physical death. It is, it is the sphere of death. It is walking in the realm of death. It is being a slave and a servant of sin and ultimately results in physical death. Jesus Christ, on the other hand, came and he brought to us grace and he brought us the gift 
the gift of eternal life, and through him we have now righteousness. He further explains, verse 17, for if by one man's offense, that's Adam, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Now notice verse 17. If by one man, that's Adam, death reigned, I would expect him to say, then through the one man, Jesus Christ, righteousness will reign. But instead of saying righteousness reigns, he says you will reign in life through Jesus Christ. So he is saying that through Adam came sin and death and servitude, and through Jesus Christ came grace and gift and righteousness and life, and now he says in Adam death reigned, and in Christ you reign in life. That sort of sums up everything he has said thus far. Think what is critical, what is vitally important in this passage is to understand that death here is not just physical death. Rather, death is the sphere of death, the realm of death, that you walk in death. Uh, whereas life is really living. I started out saying, you know people who are just existing. And there are other people who really live. They have joy and peace and love. Well, I think in this passage, the two words that are describing that are death, which we got from Adam, and life, which we get from Jesus Christ. When Adam sinned, did he die physically that day? God said, the day you eat that tree, you'll die. But did he die physically? No. What happened? What happened is he died in that he was separated from God. His fellowship with God was broken. And at that moment, he became the slave of sin. And out of that comes all kinds of consequences. Whereas in Jesus Christ, all of that that Adam had before he sinned is restored. Let me put it like this. I know this is heavy stuff, but... Um, this is a, an, an excerpt from a sermon preached by somebody else that I think uh, says it all very concretely. The man who preached this sermon was um, Ray Stedman, who spoke in our church some time ago. And uh, he said this concerning this passage. Paul's argument. Adam's transgression permitted sin to reign over the whole race. This is talking about more than just the funeral at the end of your life. True, that funeral happens because of Adam's trespass. But there is more to it than that. Not only does death come to us at the end of our life because of Adam, but it reigns throughout our lives because of Adam. Paul is talking about forms of death other than the mere cessation of life. What is life? Life is love, joy, and excitement. It is vitality, enrichment, power. It is the fulfillment in every direction, in every possibility of your being. That's life. 
Death is the absence of life. Death is emptiness, loneliness, misery, depression, boredom, restlessness. How much of your life is made up of death? A lot of it, right? Some people never seem to have anything but death in their lives. Death reigns because of Adam's transgression. Paul is saying that Christ's death provides such abundant grace and loving acceptance which are available again and again and again that all who are in him can reign in life now. You can have life in the midst of pressure and circumstances and suffering and troubles. Your spirit can be alive and joyful, experiencing fulfillment and delight. Life in the midst of death. We reign in life now. Love, joy, peace, glory, gladness fill our hearts even in the midst of all the heartaches and pressures of life. End of quote. Thanks to Ray Steadman. But that so beautifully sums up what I think Paul is teaching here. He is saying... In Adam, there was sin, there was death. And that death includes a servitude, a condemnation to sin. But in Christ, there is grace, there is gift, there is righteousness, there is really living. Now, we had not even gotten to the contrast yet. He got ahead of himself. We've just been talking about the parenthesis where he interrupted himself. Let's sum it all up in verse 18, where he says, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Here is the sum. In Adam, we had sin, which brought judgment, which brought servitude. He uses that word condemnation that he used back in verse 16, servitude. In Christ, we have gift, the gift of eternal life. We have justification, and we have righteousness. Now, folks, there's a phrase in this verse, that's really unique in the New Testament. At the end of verse 18, he talks about justification of life. You don't underline that, you circle it. That's the hinge between the first part of Romans and the second part of Romans. What does justification mean? We went through Romans and decided that justification was a forensic term. It meant I am declared righteous. Remember that? So as I understand that I'm a sinner in Adam and that I've sinned and Jesus Christ died for me and he arose from the dead and I choose to trust Christ, God justifies me. He declares me righteous. Now, Paul uses the little phrase, justification of life. That this justification, which is a legal term, which is a forensic term, 
which is an act whereby God declares me righteous because I trusted Jesus Christ and his death on the cross for my sins, brings with it not just a declaration, but it brings with it life. So it is a justification of life. Let me get doctrinal for a minute. If I were going to get real technical and theological and doctrinal, I'd say justification is declaring me righteous and regeneration is giving me new life. In this unique phrase, both are linked together. But now here is the sum. In Adam, we have sin, servitude, and death. In Jesus Christ, we have grace. We have the gift of eternal life. And we have life instead of death. And that's the point of this passage. That instead of walking around in the sphere of death, which produces such things as loneliness and boredom and depression, I can have life in Jesus Christ. You can really live as I chose to call this, because of the life that is in Jesus Christ. That in Adam there was death. In Jesus Christ I am declared righteous and I'm given a whole new kind of life. Now, the rest of the passage simply explains that contrast. So he says in verse 19, For by one man's disobedience many were made sinners so also by one man's obedience will Benny be made righteous. So in Adam we were sinners. In Jesus Christ we are made righteous. Verse 20, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Now he hasn't said a great deal about the law up until this point. But there was Adam and there was sin and then law came. And he says in verse 20, that what law did is it made the offense abound. Now sin was sin even when there was no law. Because sin is that which is contrary to the very nature of God. And sin was sin. But for God to come along and say, don't do that, and you turn around and do it, why, it just made the sin abound. Some have chosen to call this a magnifying glass. That the law came and it just magnified the enormity and the hideousness of sin. So he says, not only did sin enter, then law came along and it made it worse. Imagine a mother saying to a child, Now you know, because of what I've taught you, you shouldn't have done that. But I specifically told you this morning not to do it. That was bad enough, but because I told you, that makes it worse. Well, that's what he's saying. Sin was in the world, and it was bad. But God came along through Moses. He gave us the law, and now we were looking straight at it. And we did it anyway. So, law magnified the hideousness of sin. But he says in verse 20, but where sin abounded was magnified. Grace much more. 
<clears throat> you know grace is one of my favorite subjects in all the Bible, don't you? No, grace is my favorite subject in all the Bible, and this is one of the best passages on grace in all the Bible. Listen to this. Adam brought us sin. Sin brought us servitude. Servitude and sin brought us death. And law just made all that bigger. But Paul says, grace came along and it was bigger than sin and servitude and death. Law made sin abound, but grace abounded over sin. So he concludes in verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ. What he's simply saying is that in Adam we were sinners, in Christ we're made righteous. That's verse 19. In verses 20 and 21 he's saying that in Adam we had law and sin and death, and in Jesus Christ we have grace and we have life. Now, one more time. Let me sum it up. Let me say a few words past that. The sum of the passage, I think, is simply this. As sin, servitude, and death came through one man, Adam, so God's gift, justification, and life came through one, Jesus Christ. At the beginning, I read a comment by a commentator who said this was one of the most difficult passages in all of Romans. Let me read you what he also said. He said this, The psalm of the message is simply this, As the sin of Adam brought sin and death to all mankind, so the redeeming work of Christ brings righteousness and life to all who are united to him by a living faith. So while there are a lot of complexities in this passage, while there are a lot of tough things to understand, the simple truth of the passage is that through Adam we got sin and death, and through Jesus Christ we got grace and God's gift and justification. And now he adds life. So that some people are in Adam and they only exist, and they're headed for death, yea, they live in death. But in Jesus Christ, we can really live. I think you could sum up this passage by saying it's the tale of two men. In Adam, sin and slavery and death captured all of us. Some aristocrats like to look back at their family tree. Now let me tell you something. From a biblical point of view, if you trace back all of your ancestors, they should have hung on a tree. They all sinned just like we have. And they all deserve death. That's our family tree. We're all plugged into Adam. Or, as Wendell Holmes once said, we're all omnibuses in which our ancestors ride. And every now and then, one of them sticks his head out and embarrasses us. <laughs> in Adam, what we have to brag about is sin and servitude to sin and death. Death reigned in Adam. And in that we are in Adam 
we too are subject to slavery to sin and death. But this is the tale of two men, not just one. And the second Adam is Jesus Christ. In him, grace reigns. Look at your Bible one more time. Verse 21, as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign. Underline that. Grace reigns. Or look back at verse 17. As by one man's offense, death reigned through the one. Much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign. In verse 21, he says grace reigns. When you're in Christ, grace reigns. And that means you reign in grace. You can really live. That's the point. You can have life. Life that is abundant and free. All because of the grace of God. If you were here when we went through the first part of Romans chapter 5. You will recall that I started this chapter by saying, as Paul does, that if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are not only justified by faith, you not only have peace with God, but according to Romans 5.2, through whom also you have access by faith into this grace so that I stand in a place and a position of favor with God. And I start out standing in grace. And as those early verses explain, this gives me peace. This gives me hope. This gives me love. And because I have hope at His expectation for the future, and I have hope in the present, even though there is tribulation, there can be rejoicing, and I can live a kingly life. So I come back again to the phrase, in Christ, you can really live. You don't have to succumb to the slavery of sin and death, but because of the grace of God that now reigns over those who've trusted Christ, you can reign and you can live. A kingly kind of life filled with love and joy and peace and hope even in the midst of tribulation. That's the message of this passage. Years ago, this church was pastored by a man named Louis Talbot. He once preached through the book of Romans. Matter of fact, he wrote a commentary on the book of Romans. And in that commentary, he said this. Paul says in substance, I reign in life. Christ makes me a king. So also we should reign. We should reign over sin, sensitiveness, self-indulgence, worry, all the lust of the flesh. Woe to the man whose body reigns over him. Surely also we should reign over circumstances. There are many ways in which we should reign now. But when Christ returns to this earth as King of kings and Lord of lords, we should reign with him in a literal 
and triumphant sense. End of quote. That's it. You can have life in Jesus Christ. You can reign over the circumstances rather than succumbing to them. I think the one other thing in this passage that needs to be emphasized is that repeatedly he says much more. In Paul's mind, this is not just a comparison between Adam and Christ. It's not just a contrast between Adam and Christ, but sprinkled through the passage, he says that grace much more reigns, much more abounds, much more captures it. We don't just not have death, we have life, much more in Jesus Christ. It's much more than we ever had in Adam. It's really living, it's not just existing, and it's certainly not just being dead and walking in the sphere and realm of death. It's having a much more kind of life through Christ. You're going to sit there and say, all right, you got me all interested. How do I get it? Well, tune in next time. As we look at Romans 6 that explains the mechanics of how to experience this kind of life that's in Jesus Christ. We'll look at that. As a matter of fact, to fully comprehend what is involved, you need to understand Romans 6, 7, and 8. I'll tell you now, those chapters aren't near as uh, tough as the latter part of Romans 5. They explain the mechanics. For right now, I want you to simply understand this. In Adam, there is sin and death. In Jesus Christ, there is grace and life. And life is the key word that introduces Romans 6 and the life that is in Christ. And on top of all of that, I want you to understand that what we have in Jesus Christ is much more than anything we ever had in Adam. In the latter part of the 19th century, there was an English evangelist named Morehouse who on several occasions visited this country. On one of his trips here, he was in a rather poor section of town when he happened to see a small boy come out of a store with a pitcher of milk. The boy tripped and fell and broke the milk pitcher and spilled the milk all over the pavement. Of course, Morehouse, concerned about the boy, ran over to him and the boy was crying and he was saying, Mama will whip me, Mama will whip me. Trying to comfort him, he tried to piece the picture back together, but of course that was futile. So finally, Morehouse picked up the little boy, and he took him to a store, and he bought another picture. And he went back to the store out of which the little boy came, and he had them wash the picture and fill it with milk. And then, of course, he took the little boy home. He set him down on the porch, and he said to the little boy, Will your mama spank you now? And the little boy said, no. And a smile stretched across his face. And he said, no, mama won't spank me now. We got a better picture than before. <laughs> now, let me tell you something. In Jesus Christ, 
We have a better picture than before. We have life. And even in the midst of excruciating trials, as Paul says, we have hope. And we can have joy. As a matter of fact, if you can have joy in the midst of a trial, it's doubtful you know what it's all about. Anybody can have joy when there is no trial. When everything's going fine, it's easy to rejoice. The trick is to tap that life that's in Jesus Christ and say, I'm not going to live life like Adam. I'm going to live life in Jesus Christ. I'm going to really live. I'm going to rejoice in Christ. As a matter of fact, I think what sums it all up is when Paul says in this passage, in verse 11, not only that, but we also rejoice in God through Jesus Christ, whom, through whom we have received reconciliation. The word rejoice literally means glory. <laughs> I can really live. I am forgiven. I am declared righteous. I have been given spiritual life in Jesus Christ. I have a guarantee of heaven as my future home. I can rejoice. Hallelujah. I can glory in God. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your grace that gave us forgiveness through your Son. Thank you for your grace that gives us life through your Son. My prayer is that we will not continue to walk in Adam, but we'll learn how to rejoice and how to glory in you. Father, thank you for this fantastic life that you've given us in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.